Welcome into AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent AWA video stream and podcast dedicated to the old American Wrestling Association. As you can see on the screen, my name is Chris Tubbs. I'm one part of it. It's one of our favorite shows because this is a show that answers the questions that you guys want. And I don't know those answers because I wasn't around. I wasn't a guy, but I know a guy who knows a guy, and that guy is Mick Karch. How you doing, Mick? I'm doing well. You know, I wanted I want you to know something though, Tubbs. Yes. Last night I woke up in the middle of the night screaming the word preeminent. Probably. And I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if this is gonna be a regular thing the night before mm-hmm. we do a podcast, but mm-hmm. it, it's haunting me now. So it's a, great pick, it's, it's a great pickup line at the bars too. Go to the bars, say, Hey, my name's Mick Karch. I'm part of the preeminent podcast. Ladies, go not only will I get slapped across the face, but I'll get 86 from the bar. So that's that idea. You got to go to the preeminent bar. That's the problem. (laughs) All right, Uh, here we go. Yeah, this this is a fun one because this is an ODQ and A, and these we've always got people that are asking so many questions. Uh, but these Q and A's, they just kind of take on a life of their own. And, and really, I think that's what makes them fun. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you never know what we're going to get, what people remember out there. They remember some stuff that I don't remember. And, you know, and, uh, it, and if I don't know the I used to say this on SNR all the time. If I don't know the answer, I'll make it up. So one way or another, you're going to get an answer. It might not be, you know, 100% gospel, but who gives a shit? You know what I'm saying? I, I mean, it's wrestling. It's all real, right? Everything is legit. One. Sorry. What? Okay, I know, right? I feel I feel so stupid just even saying that. I know. Yeah. Welcome to the show, pal. Hey, we got to get a a few things out of the way. We got some big announcements coming up, Mick, and a couple of these people have not heard. Uh, First of all, of course, you can see up in the upper uh, right hand quarter, Soda Stick. That's the place to get your uh, AWA Unleashed merchandise. We've got T-shirts. Now that we're starting to get into the a little bit cooler we're getting towards the end of august so you know it's going to start to get cooler go ahead and get your personalized hoodie go to sodastickco.com and you know just type in awa unleash you get the black hoodie with the white lettering you can put your your name on, on the hood it's just it's really cool and you can show your you know show your loyalty your support to the podcast we got the t-shirts of course uh we've got a new style coming out momentarily um we're uh, currently in the process of that but if you don't have yours Go ahead and get it because I'm really extremely popular. I want to thank uh, Soda Stick for that. If you like pizza, and believe me, this is Body by Pizza, so I totally get that. Uh, I was telling you, Mick, I went out today and I got four brand new Spankin' 7th Avenue pizzas, and they are awesome. And if you're a, a fan of high-quality pizza, it's exactly what you want. You want to go to the uh, 7th Avenue pizza and I've got a meatball and pepperoni. I've got a Lucky 7. I've got a bacon cheeseburger. Um, love it. It's the best frozen pizza on the market. It absolutely is. And uh, four of them. And, and it's good that they're brand spanking new. Yeah. Better than that than get an old one. And the other thing that I was going to mention, too, about the EWA Unleashed shirt. I saw some guy just recently on an AEW broadcast from Minneapolis that was front and center sporting that mm-hmm. AWA Unleashed T-shirt. I, I mean, this guy, this guy had movie star written all over him. 
I mean, what can you say about a sexy beast like that? There's a reason the camera loved him. I mean, I just, I listen, if I was that guy, mm, mm, eat that guy up. Mm, yummy. No, that was, uh, that was me. That was me. Spoiler I am like so that. goddamn sorry I brought that up. <laughs> anyway, go, go, go ahead. Yeah. We've got that. Um, if you're in the Red River Valley in uh, Fargo, Moorhead, Detroit Lakes, Alexandria, Fergus, uh, Grand Rapids, we have got a big event coming up on September 10th. That is right before the Below Zero Wrestling Show. It's going to be at Outstate Brewing in Fergus Falls, Minnesota. You and I, Mick, are going to be up there doing a live show before the Below Zero Wrestling event. They've invited us up there, and I am excited to go up and see our friends in the Red River Valley because it is a great part of the upper Midwest. I spent seven years in Fargo-Moorhead. I loved it. Uh, just going right down 94 to Fergus Falls, and I'm super, super excited to be in that part of the state. We are always excited to get out there among the fans, you know, and, and do the live stuff and interact with everybody. Very, very much looking forward to that, and thank you, Below Zero Wrestling, for inviting us, and we're going to have a good time. And, and not only that, Mick, you have something that I think fans – not only in the upper Midwest are going to be interested in, but you just told me about this. I know that it's something I've been hearing rumblings about, but it sounds like you've got something big that is going to be coming to uh, fruition, or at least uh, very, very close to becoming reality. Just a few years ago, Chris, we uh, I had this brainstorm or brain fart, as it may be, uh, to do an AWA reunion. And we had some of the AWA stars from uh, back in the day, that uh, got together and schmoozed with the fans and gave some speeches and had some food and we're going to do it again. Uh, date TBD, as they say in the business, and the talent roster also TBD, but I guarantee you it's going to happen this fall. And the last one was a tremendous success. I love and, it. Uh, we're going to do it again. You know, the, the AWA guys that are still around, God bless them. Yeah. Uh, and they love being remembered by the fans, and the interaction is just great. So we'll keep you posted. It's going to be a great time. I cannot wait to hear more. And if you can get me on the ticket list, that would be great. I'd like to get one comped, please. I'm going to have to pay for mine. I understand. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, so let's get to the uh, the no DQ. And I, Dude, I'm super excited because I know that you've thrown that idea around. And, and to hear kind of the people that you've been talking with about to make this a reality, like you are talking with some movers and shakers. I mean, not just like, okay, we're thinking about doing it. Like the people that you're you're talking to are are like legit people that can get stuff done. So I am, I'm excited for this about a potential AWA reunion this fall. I, I just, I can't wait. Absolutely. Uh, going to be great. That being said, let's go ahead and uh, get into the uh, the no DQ and A here, Mick. And uh, number one from Arnold Ersfeld, what is the worst high-profile match that you ever saw in the AWA? No question about it. And I don't know really how high-profile this was, but it was part of Wrestle Rock. Uh, so I guess you know, in that sense, it was high-profile. It was Bulldog Bob Brown and the Giant Baba. Now, a couple of things. First of all, Bulldog Bob Brown, there he is right there, the old Bulldog, the late Bulldog Bob Brown, who also wrestled here as Bill Green. As George Shire used to say, you know, he changed color. He didn't just change his name. 
But uh, Bulldog Bob Brown was not exactly a speed demon on the mat. Uh, he could have probably entered a three-day turtle race and, you know, come up last. <laughs> and the giant Baba, I may be the only guy on the planet, but I never understood the appeal of giant Baba. Outside of his size, you know, I guess he was an anomaly uh, because he was almost seven foot tall and, and what have you. But uh, needless to say, the match was not exactly a scientific clinic. I think it's out there on YouTube someplace. Um, if you have the misfortune some night and you really, you know, want to want to get a cure for the stomach flu or whatever you got going on, or maybe add to it, a uh, Bulldog Bob Brown and the Giant Baba from Wrestle Rock, unquestionably, unquestionably the worst high-profile match I ever saw. I've also heard it's a cure for insomnia too. You, oh yeah, absolutely. You'll yeah. sleep for a week. All right. Yep. Uh, question number two here, Mick, from Mike Wilson. What match do you recommend a fan of the AWAC? He only saw the final five ish years and is looking for some recommendations. Wow. Uh, I would say, and, and I don't even know if they're out there. If, if you can look at some old Billy Robinson and Nick Bockwinkle footage, uh, to me, those matches were absolute clinics, classics. Even the wrestlers who would watch from behind the scenes, behind the curtain, would say, my God, they're laying them in. Talk about working snug. Uh, Robinson and Bachwinkle, there's there's Billy giving uh, Nick the old uh, uh, the old Beagle throw there. Just sensational matches. I think they were the best series of matches that Nick had uh, in the AWA. I've always said, too, you know, the Jerry Blackwell babyface turn in that. Yeah, yeah I, w- I was going to ask about that because uh-huh. that, that seems to be one that we have turns, you know, heel to baby, baby to heel all the time. But that seems to be one that people, that seems to be the one that everybody brings up. There's big Jerry. And I'm telling you, it was so red hot. And this was built up over a period of weeks uh, where the Sheik's army was turning on Jerry Blackwell. And they finally did it uh, when he won the $100,000 battle Royal in St. Paul Bruiser Brody and the Sheik's Army and got half the roster and the popcorn vendor and everybody else uh, came into the ring to beat up on Jerry. It was the greatest single babyface turn I've ever seen. So, and and I know that's out there on YouTube and it's just tremendous. So those are the ones that I would recommend. The uh, next one coming from Reggie Harp. Uh, his question is: Do you think the AWA title change to Otto Vons in 1982 confused fans? as he was unknown in the United States, we get this a lot. And also to, to follow up on this, do you think that they would have been better served to have Bachwinkle lose the belt to an up and coming North American star like Tito Santana, Dino Bravo, or Hulk Hogan, even though we know that, you know, Dino not from, but I think maybe somebody that was more well known in the United States, maybe to, to elevate that person and give them the proverbial rub. Well, the, the, the title change, first of all, as far as being confusing, it was very confusing to me uh, that it happened because it came out of the blue. And we've talked about this before on the air. Even Bobby Heenan was not clued into the fact that Otto Vance was going to defeat Nick Bockwinkle back in, in August of 82 for the championship. There's Big Otto later on in his, uh, his retirement years, the late Otto Vance. I would say this to uh, Reggie's question, as far as the other guys that might have been given a run with the title, I don't know 
that had Otto Vance not offered Vern Gagne 50 grand uh, at the time for that brief run with the championship, I'm not sure that there would have been a title change on the immediate horizon for Nick Bockwinkel. I don't think it would have happened. I don't think Hulk Hogan was going to be getting the title. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about that many times before. I think this was just one of those deals. Otto Vance wanted the rub from the AWA. He was going to be going on tour in Europe. He wanted the prestige of a championship. Mm-hmm. So he slipped Vern a check for $50,000, and uh, the rest is history. Uh, as far as Dino Bravo carrying the strap, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I like Dino. I don't know that he would have been – you know, my first choice. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't see Dino Bravo as world championship material. No, you know, no I, I, quite quite at that level. Right. I mean, yeah, exactly. I think I think Dino was great for the role that he had here in the yeah. AWA, feuding with Blackwell and so forth. Tito Santana, I think, would have been a good choice uh, if they were going to give the title to uh, to another uh, up and coming guy. Tito's phenomenal, but again, the whole thing centers around Otto Vance buying the champion. Yep, just for a couple of months. Was, was that was was that was that well known? Like at the time, was it well known that Otto Vons paid for the title? Or it, so we we didn't know about all of this until the quote unquote kayfabe era was was broken. Yeah, I think so. I think every well again, if Bobby Heenan didn't know about it, uh, you know, then nobody knew about it. I mean, it was basically Nick and 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 Vern and Otto, and that was it. So. Uh, not the greatest day in AWA history, I, I would say. Does that happen often where people would make a, a pitch to be like, hey, I'll give you X amount of dollars if, you know, you allow me to hold such and such a title? Was, it, was that common now looking back? Have you heard other stories or is this just an isolated incident? I, I don't know if I've heard stories along the lines of buying a title. I know that favors were done, you know, uh, among promoters and among wrestlers, you know, maybe different territories had some kind of an agreement, you know, give this guy a run with the championship for a month and then we'll do the same for you down the road. But it was really the first time that I heard specifically about somebody coming in and saying, here's cash, uh, give me the title for, you know, a couple of months. All right, let's go to the next one here, Mick from Danny Redmond. Uh, he said, to me, one of the most menacing wrestlers that ever lived was Ox Baker. Now, I know he was pushed harder in Chicago than Minneapolis. Any reason Ox never got rolling in the AWA as a whole? That is a very good question. I, that's a Because when I think of, like, heels and menacing guys that had that look, Ox Baker would have been at the top of that list. You know, it's interesting. When, when Ox first came into the territory, he was kind of a uh, – an anomaly in the sense that he was this big killer guy, but he, he was uh, doing jobs on television uh, in the AWA. And then eventually he came back, you know, it, but still it was not any kind of a major role. And Ox, of all the guys in the wrestling business, like you said, Chris, who had a menacing look about them, who more than Ox Baker? And Ox was over huge in Chicago. Uh, you know, for, for Bob Luce, he wrestled a lot for Dick the Bruiser in the in, in the Indianapolis area. But for some strange reason, he just never caught fire in the AWA. There he is right there. Uh, Big Ox Baker passed away just a couple of years ago. You talk about an over-the-top personality. Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw Ox Baker at Cauliflower Alley Club. I mean, you, you could hear Ox down the hall and, you know, out onto <laughs> Ringo Boulevard and what have you. 
Uh, when he came back to the AWA for his last run, he was actually managing uh, the Russian Brute uh, back in the day. And uh, sadly, that was really at the end of the AWA run. Kind of went nowhere. I do not understand for one minute why Oxbaker didn't get the push. Unless he just wanted to stay in Chicago and Indianapolis. I, I don't know. Kind of to follow up on those lines, were there a lot of guys that were booked differently or that got over in Chicago than didn't in Minneapolis? Because, I mean, if you look at the two geographically, you would think that there wouldn't be much difference because we're only, you know, several hours away from each other. But w- was it common for wrestlers to to maybe really be over or presented it a different way there, but it just didn't work here? You know, it, it is. I mean, it actually happened quite a bit. Uh, Bob Luce kind of did his own thing in Chicago. Uh, Dick the Bruiser was way over in Chicago. I mean, just huge. Uh, it, where he would periodically come into the Minneapolis territory, not on a on a regular basis. Another guy that I would say, Ernie Ladd, uh, as a you know as a big uh, big monster, very very successful in Chicago, especially later on in the uh, you know later on in his career in the heel days. The the Legionnaires, uh, you know, Rene Goulet, Don Fargo, guys like this. So Bob Luce kind of did his own thing. And had a roster of guys that just didn't do it in, in Minneapolis. Angelo Poffo was another one. Yeah. Uh, I, I, perfect example. Angelo Poffo, Chris Markoff, uh, you know, guys like this. So, yeah, Bob did his own thing. But uh, you know, the, the big stars, the Mad Dogs, the Vern Gagnes, what have you, they were kind of staples on both on both sides of the coin. Okay. So, th- so they traveled well is what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right, uh, next one from Marvin Rodemaker. Uh, hopefully I got your name right, Marvin. Who would you say are the top all-time five legends in AWA history, not putting Hulk Hogan on that list? I wouldn't put Hulk Hogan on the list, period. Um, you know, I mean, you know, maybe top ten, I don't know. But, you know, in the scheme of things, when I think of an AWA legend, it's somebody with longevity, it's somebody who has consistently filled the houses year after year and become kind of a household name. By all intents and purposes, Hulk Hogan was here for a cup of coffee. You know, he was here for a few years, drew Baffo box office, but legendary, I don't know. This was a tough question. I saw this one, and this is as debatable as anything any question you're going to have about AWA. Absolutely. Cause I mean, you, you've got such a, a history oh. and it's, and it's the thing is Mick, it's subjective as well. Right. Because what was it? Who did you enjoy the most? Who was the most entertaining? Who was the best wrestler? Uh, who was most over, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's personal preference here. And, but I think the ones, and, and I already put Vern up there and I know you can get into that here in a second. But I know that the ones that are on your list, are we talking just wrestlers here? Or, I mean, what what is your criteria when you answer this question? Yeah, my criteria would be uh, longevity, first of all, overall star power. Uh, you know, and again, the most subjective part of this is, you know, how did I personally enjoy him or how did the guy down the street? You know, so you can't really base your criteria on that. I think you have to do hard facts and figures, longevity, popularity or unpopularity, how much money you made at the box office, sure. overall star power. 
So again, very debatable. You could, and you know what's interesting about this, Chris, too, is when I was trying to narrow it down to five, that AWA roster over the years, my God, you could have 55. You could have 105 guys. It was, it was so yeah. stacked. Oh, because every, every era had guys, I think, that you could look at, as, you know, as being a staple. You know, maybe the last few years, it, it waned a bit. But there were times where that roster that Vern had was as deep and as versatile and as, as talented as any place maybe in the world based right here in Minneapolis. I would absolutely agree. So, you know, when you come up with five, man, that was really tough. And I, I think on the criteria that I talked about, it would be hard to argue with uh, with this five. So yeah. you know, we put Vern Gagne's picture up there uh, just a second ago. And again, you know, when you talk AWA, you're talking Vern Gagne. Right from the outset, uh, Vern was the man. He was the man before it was the AWA on the old Dumont network out of Chicago. Uh, he was already establishing a nationwide uh, reputation and, of course, legendary. You, you, we can do weeks on Vern Gagne. Uh, so I would definitely put him top five ever. Uh, also, and this I'm sure is going to shock nobody, uh, there's a guy named Nick Bockwinkle, uh, originally out of St. Louis, not out of Beverly Hills. But uh, Nick, to me, exemplifies what pro wrestling is all about. And he exemplified the the class of the AWA. And by that, I mean no nonsense, no frills. He went into other territories defending the AWA championship, both singles and then as a tag team with Ray Stevens. The fact that Nick was here from 1971 effectively to 1987, basically never leaving the territory. Yeah. And I don't know if anybody drew more money in the, in the long haul than Nick Bockwinkle did. So certainly Vern and Nick, uh, no question about that. You know, you, you know what I love about Nick Bockwinkle, before you continue, yeah. is, I mean, looking back, we didn't know really how people were going to, you know, comment, what what they would think of some of these stars that we're going to bring up. Like, you hear people talk about Nick Bockwinkle, and, I mean, the, the rarefied air that they put him in as being one of the best ever, because mainstream fans – we don't hear Nick Bockwinkle's name mentioned in that, but when you talk to the hardcore AWA fans, he's immediately one of those that they instantly bring up as that was my champion. That was the guy that I enjoyed watching. And that's the guy that I feel is really like the, you know, the main champion of my, you know, of my fandom. You know, it, it's interesting, too, because as big as the AWA was, and you and I have talked incessantly, Chris, about how great the AWA was, I think the perception because of the national magazines, and again, it was a different era. You didn't have the Internet going on. The national magazines tended to focus on New York or they tended to focus on the NWA, whether yeah. it was Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, Bruno Sammartino. So the AWA was up there, but unless you were in that 12 to 15 major city AWA territory, you did not 
you couldn't appreciate Nick Bockwinkle for the wrestler that he was. And as you said, his peers, it is rarefied air, you know, and we'll, we'll talk forever about Nick, but, but certainly he's, he's right up there. Another guy, you got to put him on, you know, some kind of an all time AWA list. And that's the man from Milwaukee. Uh, the one and only the crusher, Reggie Lasowski. Um, Going back to pre-AWA days, he was here as part of the NWA in the late 1950s, came into the AWA as a major heel in uh, 1962, I believe, feuded with Vern Gagne for a long, long time, <coughs> excuse me, feuded with Rene Goulet, all, all kinds of mainstream babyfaces. And then, of course, Crusher turned babyface. And again, talk about a guy with longevity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Crusher's here effectively for almost 30 years on and off. So, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, the man from, from Milwaukee, legendary. I don't think there's an AWA fan, no matter how old you are. Uh, you know, when you talk about the AWA, whatever happened to the Crusher? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I mean, <laughs> we hear. You know, people like, hey, you know, when you're doing things, it's, oh, you know, Crusher Fest. Like, we hear about Crusher Fest. We hear about, you know, the, the statue in South yeah. Milwaukee. It's it's incredible how some of these guys that you're talking about outside of, of maybe Vern hated heels and just beloved baby faces when you're in the same territory. That is really, really hard to do. The Crusher is legendary. Uh, sad to say that a lot of the the modern generation, and that would include kind of your age bracket, only got to see Crusher at the end of his career. Yeah, yeah. I you feel know. like I feel like I missed out. Yeah, and, and that's really <clears throat> excuse me, that's really a shame because, and especially as a heel, Crusher was a phenomenal heel. So legendary to a fault. Love the Crusher. We're going to continue on now, and we've talked about this guy before many, many times as possibly, at least in my estimation, the greatest overall performer in modern-day professional wrestling. And by modern-day, I mean like from 1962, 1963 on. And that would be Bobby the Brain Heenan. Mm -hmm. And again, the generational situation, if, if you – Picked up on Bobby Heenan's career in the late 1980s, you would think of him as just a, a comic foil for Gorilla Monsoon. But if you watched Bobby Heenan work in the AWA, nobody ever got more heat than Bobby Heenan. Nobody. I mean, this wasn't even close. As a manager, as a wrestler, as a talker, it was... The, the guy was second to none, and this is legitimate heat. I've talked about this before. The fans weren't just booing Bobby Heenan because it was the thing to do. They saw Bobby Heenan as a they guy. Him. As a snake, they hated him. They, you know, and how many big tough guys would say, I could kick Heenan's ass. I'll go, you know. He was that damn good. Nobody has ever been able to touch Bobby Heenan. Well, and what, what Heenan did, you know, they talk about, you you talk people into the building, right? That's kind of, he was one of the guys that could do that. And yet he was just smarmy enough and get enough heat to keep things going as well. And, and you can use him pretty much anywhere. The versatility of Bobby Heenan too, where 
Yeah, you were telling me various stories where if somebody couldn't show up or they couldn't make the show, guess what? You slide Bobby Heenan in. And in some respects, the, the event or the match actually got better because of Bobby Heenan. Well, and if Bockwinkle tells you that, and Ray Stevens tells you that, that Bobby Heenan made the match better, uh, even that they would have, then it's the gospel. Uh, Bobby was just second to none. God bless him. And uh, there'll never be another one like him. No, you, you can't nowadays. You, All right. You can't you gotta, they're going to finish off the, the five. And again, it's all subjective, but how can you not talk about the AWA without talking about the guy from Canada by way of Algeria, by way of Omaha? Oh, yes. Our good friend, the legendary Mad Dog Bashan. Mad Dog started out again as not an enhancement guy, but he was an undercard talent in the AWA as late as spring of 1964 or 63 in that area. And all of a sudden, October 1964, October 20 to be exact, Here's Mad Dog Bashan, and he's winning the AWA Heavyweight Championship of the World from Vern Gagne, like out of the blue. And then the storyline after that was, you know, for months and months and years, Mad Dog is ducking Vern Gagne. He doesn't want to give him a rematch, so on and so forth. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, to a fault, as far as a heel, a major, vicious, spitting, gouging, scratching heel... Nobody did it better than Mad Dog Bashan. And Mad Dog was probably about 5'9", 5'10", if, if he's on a phone book. Uh, but he was not a big guy. I mean, I think people forget he, he was not a big guy. No, he wasn't. And he everybody says the dog was as tough as anybody that ever got into the ring. You didn't screw around with Mad Dog Bashan. And, of course, when they turned to babyface and he had that feud with Jerry Blackwell for so many years um, – Outside the ring, you wouldn't find a nicer guy. You would not find a nicer guy, pussycat, uh, than Mad Dog Bashan. God rest his soul. What a what a wonderful man. I've heard you mention him as a, a pussycat before, and uh, I mean, you you look at that, you look at that picture that I put up, and you would think there's no way that that guy would make a a nasty heel because he just looks so jovial and happy there, and it's like, I mean, there were bloodbaths that he was involved with. It was incredible. Mad Dog Vashad was one of those guys that could make the transformation from, from one second to the next. You know, you flip the switch and you're talking to Mad Dog in the locker room and it's like your best friend, you know, and then, uh, you know, that you would have over to watch the football game and the, the lights turn on and doors open up and he's biting some guy's nose off. So, <laughs> uh, and, and again, every interaction that I had with Mad Dog over the years, I cannot say enough good things about him. So, Again, it was kind of a long segment, but those yeah. were the guys that those are the five that absolutely have to be up there. AWA's greatest. Well, I, I think when you were talking about, you know, the best ever, you need to give a reason why. And, and again, it, it's all subjective. And yes. I don't think we've ever had a five part question, but I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the question from Marvin uh, from Matthew Hurt. If you could have picked a location for Super Clash three, what location would you have picked? <laughs> I think that the powers that be would have picked just about anywhere <laughs> other than uh, where it wound up in Chicago. Uh, they had that major buildup. And again, Super Clash 3 was headlined by Kerry Von Erich and Jerry Lawler. 
and it was a loaded card. It was on pay-per-view, an abysmal live gate in Chicago. Just horrid. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't in Chicago, so I don't know how the promotion kind of dropped the ball there. But the it's legendary. Lawler claims he didn't get paid. Uh, Chavo Guerrero Sr. actually threatened Vern Gagne at Cauliflower Alley Club one year when I was there uh, because Vern had not supposedly paid him for Super Clash 3. Uh, where would I have chosen? I think the logical place would have been Dallas. And if yeah. not Dallas, then someplace Dallas or Memphis, right? I mean, Lawler or I mean, because you, when you've got something like that, one of those two needs to have a home field advantage. And Absolutely. The, the Von Erichs and World Class were white hot. I mean, their their program, and I know it is an AWA, but I mean, wrestling fans know the Freebirds and the Von Erichs in World Class were as white hot in Jerry Lawler versus anybody in Memphis. You need to have it in one of those two locations. I mean. To me, that would have been a no-brainer because even if, if the rest of the card is absolute shit and doesn't get over, you've got that main event and you've got fans that are invested in at least one of those guys. I don't know if it was Vern's ego that got in the way and he just figured he would have to have it in a, in a AWA town. It's interesting, Chris. You, you wonder if the, if the fans in their mentality or the way they saw that never really accepted Jerry Lawler or Kerry Von Erich as AWA guys, that may have been. Yeah, I, well, I don't, I don't think, I don't think they. I mean, I can't look at Lawler and Kerry Von Erich and say, well, yeah, <laughs> these, these are two guys that are, you know, part of the AWA. They right. they were part of a desperate attempt, but I mean, would maybe a Vern have lost a little bit of his identity then going into somebody else's territory with a main card? Is that maybe could have been it? It could have been it. It's that old story, what was going on back then. All the promoters trying to work together, the big idea, yeah. you know, do these pay-per-views that we're going to derail Vince McMahon. Everybody's biting everybody's head off. And to, to this day, you know, uh, Jerry Jarrett claims so-and-so. Vern should have handled the payoff for this guy. Vern used to claim just the opposite. This was Jarrett's guy. So it didn't work. But, you know, to answer the question basically right out of the box, Either Memphis or Dallas, logical. You're going to have Von Eric and Lawler on top. That's where you hold. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's go to the next one here from uh, Sean Irving. Whatever happened to Chris Markoff? Oh, Chris Markoff, <clears throat> as Eddie Sharkey says, a tormented soul. Uh, Chris was a great, great veteran of professional wrestling, wrestled all over the world, literally. And uh, was in the AWA on and off from the uh, mid-1960s, came back again as late as the 1980s. Uh, Chris actually is a pretty wealthy guy. Uh, that, that's kind of a smaller picture there, but <clears throat> that is what was called the Devil's Duo. It should actually be the Devil's Trio. On the left is Angelo Poffo, the father, of course, of Macho Man, Randy Savage, and Lanny Poffo. In the middle there with the... Uh, with the 1950s uh, rock band <laughs> is uh, Bobby the Braid Heenan. And then to the right of the screen there is Chris Markoff. Chris was a great veteran, great heel, uh, a tormented soul to be sure. Chris always, poor guy, had a chip on his shoulder, never liked to finish or, you know, whatever was presented to him. But uh, 
he's very wealthy. He owns some uh, some uh, land here in the state of Minnesota, the Twin Cities. Uh, owns some apartment buildings. Lives here in the summertime, and then goes down to live in sunny Florida in the wintertime. So uh, Chris is is living the the life of Riley, but uh, another great guy, great talent. And it, it's great to hear that guys kind of like when we talked to Mike Moran a couple of weeks ago, the guys that have been able to, they were successful in one part and then they move on and they're successful in another part because sometimes that's not easy to do is, is you know, kind of move away from the business and do something else where you don't feel like that's your identity. And, and that's, it's hard for some people to do when you get a little bit later on in life. You know, a lot of the wrestlers from back in the day, and I won't mention any names because that's, you know, more personal stuff. They blew through their money. You know, they didn't save a dime and had nothing ready at the end of their careers. Then you look at a went into the insurance business and, and Markov in real estate, Larry Hennig for years and years owned a real estate company and then got into the auction business. So, you know, some of them planned well, some of them, but uh, Markov, Chris Markov is, uh, he's riding high off the hog. Good man. And I know that's somebody that I know you've talked about getting on and other people oh. have asked about wanting to get him on the show. And I'd I think it. it'd, it'd be great to get him on. Uh, let's go ahead and continue to move on here from John Hall. Uh, could you discuss the career of superstar Billy Graham? He remembers him to be a bully, uh, muscular type heel, but he didn't spend much time in the AWA. Wanted to know, to know if Billy Graham is his real name and if he took the name because of the popularity of evangelicist Dr. Billy Graham. Well, number one, no, his real name is actually uh, Eldridge Wayne Coleman. And uh, he, he went by Wayne Coleman. He kind of dropped the Eldridge. He uh, great athlete, played uh, football in the Canadian Football League. Uh, I believe for Calgary and Montreal, and uh, there's a very small picture of, uh, of superstar. Almost looks like he should be a game host, a game show host. But that's a superstar, Billy Graham, as Wayne. Uh, is it, he has that. Is that uh, superstar Graham or is that Gene Rayburn? I can't tell. <laughs> exactly. All he needs is that you know microphone. The long microphone, yeah. yeah Fifteen foot stick. But, <laughs> but uh, Billy Graham, uh, he got hurt playing football and then decided to get into professional wrestling ranks. Actually, went to that old dungeon, uh, Stu Hart's uh, Calgary area dungeon, and uh, transformed into a professional wrestler of great note legendary superstar Graham. That's the Billy superstar Graham. That's the uh, one that we know. No, there we go. I, I believe I did read that he took the name Billy Graham from the evangelist. I don't know if that's true or not. It's one of those, uh, you know, old wives tales in, in wrestling, but sure. uh, certainly he was a trendsetter. And I don't think there wouldn't have been a Jesse the Body Ventura without superstar Billy Graham. And uh, Billy is a very controversial figure these days. He's on the Internet, and uh, he's got his own website, and he pulls no punches. Uh, he, if he doesn't like something, he's going to tell you. Sometimes he's 100% spot on. Other times you look at it, you think, oh, my God, this guy's full of crap. He, he, he's living what we call that ZFG life. Zero fucks to give. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And uh, he's had some health issues over the years, but uh, – Legendary in the business, absolutely. Superstar Graham. Wayne Coleman. Uh, here's one. It's not necessarily AWA, uh, but it's more towards you, Mick. In all the interviews that you've done over the years, have you ever had the opportunity to interview Ric Flair? No. 
Uh, I came close. And I think I've talked about this before. This is Twin Wars 90. You remember that event, Chris, when they brought yep. Brian Pillman and Rick Flair in? And this, again, was an AWA attempt to uh, collaborate with the NWA. And uh, there's the nature is the way we would like to remember Nature Boy Ric Flair as opposed to, uh, you know, what we've seen uh, recently. Right. Anyway, we're going back to 1990 and they brought Flair in to wrestle Brian Pillman. And I actually was going to go down to the uh, building and interview Ric Flair uh, for Saturday night at ringside. Well, you know, I talked to Rick prior to the show. He said, <clears throat> catch me afterward. We'll talk a little bit. You know, he had the Minnesota connection. And unfortunately, in the interim, there was a little bit of an argument in the locker room between one Ric Flair and one Vern Gagne. What? Over, uh, yeah, I know, it's hard to believe. I'm going to guess it's over money? Oh, it might have been. Um, Apparently, when it came time to pay Ric Flair, and again, I didn't hear it specifically, but the story is told over the years, Vern said, well, don't forget about that 10% that you owe me for training you back in 1972 or 1973. Oh, boy. Yeah, and uh, basically, Flair said, screw you, Vern, grabbed his uh, Halliburton and left the building. So that was as close as I ever got to actually interviewing Ric Flair. And, uh, you know, uh, once again, Vern and money and uh, the talent, Mm -hmm. it's that old, uh, you know, the, the old quandary. Do you continue to pay a guy 10% of your earnings for the rest of your life when he hasn't booked you in 30 years or 25 years or what? Well, and and, I mean, we hear stories. I mean, you you and I have heard stories just as recently as uh, when we were down at the uh, down at Waterloo uh, about some of the money issues that may or may not be going on uh, with one of those said individuals. And you hear it from both sides and you're like, I, I, I just can't believe to me, it's a foreign concept to have these sort of issues over money when all of this should have been taken care of up front contractually. And then you hear all of this stuff kind of after the fact, and you're like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. And, and I mean, it, it, it does seem a little a little underhanded if indeed you're going to go back after the fact. And again, we don't know what's true to say, OK, oh, by the way, yeah, you owe me 10 percent on this. But uh, again, I based on what I no, both parties could be at fault. But again, we, we don't know anything. Well, you know, and, and you hit the nail right on the head. Get all this stuff on the table ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And because it wasn't, it sounds to me like Vern, you know, at the last minute said, oh, yeah, because I can't imagine if Flair's going to walk out with his Halliburton at the end of the night when he's asked for that 10 percent, he would have never agreed to that in right. the first place. That would have been uh, taken off the table. So, you know, I. How many times has it happened in the wrestling business, not only, you know, in this situation where a promoter promises a guy he's going to give him, you know, X number of dollars, and then the guy comes for his payoff at the end of the night, and the promoter says, well, you know, the house was a little light, yeah. or the poster money didn't come in, so unfortunately I got a dock at 250 So yeah. it, it's the business. Yeah, unfortunately that's kind of what we hear. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that things have changed a little bit over the years that you know, things aren't quite as scrupulous as they used to be. Uh, this one from Scott Like, or uh, Like, sorry about that, Scott. Uh, why didn't the AWA feature more midget matches? I, I know that this is a, a touchy subject, and I'm glad that it's just the two of us because otherwise uh, we would have hell to pay right now. I can guarantee that. But you know, why were there not more 
more of them? Well, you know, there's so many things we could say. You know, there was a small window of opportunity, you know, or, you know, it's just a minuscule problem over the years. All that. Oh, my God. No, we, we won't do that. And uh, George Shire is not here. God bless him. George would do an hour on his own on how much he hated the midget matches. Uh, I would say, can we get a picture of, of perhaps the greatest midget wrestler of all time up there? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we, we are going to have a picture of a boy. He is small. I mean, <laughs> and that, actually, that, that, that built to scale, I think. <laughs> oh, wow. See, I, I, okay. Well, just for that, I'm going to bring it back up. Oh, just for that, I'm going I'm to bring it back up. See, we're showing. Oh, there he is. There he is. Let me make uh, it larger. There, fantastic. That is the late Sky Lolo. And if you're going to talk about the greatest of all time, Sky Lolo is up there. I know another one of the great midget wrestlers of all time. Your personal favorite, Little Beaver. We don't have a uh, we don't have a picture of, of Little Beaver. Hey, man, everybody loves a Little Beaver. Sky, Sky Lolo, uh, legendary. The reason that there weren't a lot of midget wrestling matches were was the fact twofold. Number one, there weren't a lot of midget wrestlers around, and the AWA specifically kind of kept them under wraps, save for once or twice a year when they would bring them in for a holiday show or something to that effect. I'm surprised you, know, you didn't make some wise-ass crack about keeping them under wraps. Well, I, like would, a- I would never. I wouldn't stoop that low. <laughs> To do something like you that, mean, you you would you wouldn't stoop that sky low low. I wouldn't stoop that sky low low. And another thing, the the one thing that I have to agree with George about the midget wrestlers, they were an attraction for the kids, yes. But if you were a pure professional wrestling fan, mm-hmm. this was nothing but pure comedy. And uh, unfortunately, that has translated into some of the big boys in some of the territories these days, basically doing the same shit that some of the midget wrestlers did. Uh, back in the day, but uh, yeah, not a lot of them. They were just used as a special attraction, kind of comedy relief. Same routine. You saw one midget match. You saw them all. They went through the same series of boom, boom, boom yeah. scenarios and acts and what have you. So, sorry about that, Sky. But again, it, it's it's like the wrestling is best to me, Mick, when it's like a buffet. You have something for everybody. You don't like the high flyers, you know, the, the lucha, the high fine you got the heavyweights you don't like the heavyweights you got the women you, you don't like the women you got the you know the, the midget you, you've got a little bit of everything and i i think we've kind of gone away from that but i think it, at, at one point wasn't that kind of the way that it was presented that we want something for the entire family because i mean let's be honest you know sometimes the midgets fun entertaining kids like to be entertained and that's kind of appealing to some of that family audience I would completely agree with you, Chris, and and uh, especially on the holiday shows. Like I said, you would have yeah. the midgets, you would have the girls. You know, maybe you had a battle royal, a six man tag. You had something for everybody on the AWA shows, and the midgets. You know, uh, fuzzy fuzzy Cupid, another great midget wrestler against Sky Lolo, Little Beaver, Little Bobo, Little Bruiser. Everybody was little. Little, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm starting to sense a theme here. And yeah, yeah. That, that, that was their name. That's that's not you saying anything. That's actually their their names. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay. All so right. there you have it. So, but Sky Lolo, incidentally, Sky Lolo, the greatest pratfall in the history of wrestling, when at at Butcher Vashon's wedding, 
in the WWE, Freddie Blassie hit Sky Lolo on the back of the head <laughs> with a cane, and Sky went, you know, face planted. And uh, oh, just real quickly, I, yeah, yeah, spending a lot of time on Sky Lolo. I remember there was a well, it's, it's not it's not a small topic. Let's say that. No, it really it really isn't. Uh, Sky Lolo was being interviewed by Marty O'Neill back in the 1960s, early 60s on AWA TV. They had an interview backdrop, which was about 15, 20 feet away from the ring. And Texas Bob Geigel, who was a heel at the time, decided that he had had enough of Sky Lolo's interview. And he came in to the interview area and he picked up Sky Lolo. And I'm telling you, Sky Lolo looked like a human dart. The camera did not follow Sky's flight, per se, but you saw him leave the interview area. He's looking right into the camera. Just holy shit look on his face. And the next scene is Sky in the ring about 15 feet away, laying flat on his back. So I'm guessing it was probably like a Scud missile, up and over and into the ring, and the UFO was Sky Lolo. What, what, oh, man. Just stuck with me all those years. Shows you where my life is. That, that's the that's the beginning of the midget tossing craze right there. There you go. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Let's go with a, a couple more here, Mick. And uh, we've got more, but we'll you know we're going to do another Q and A here uh, in a few weeks down the line. Uh, occasionally, from uh, Chuck Victor. Occasionally, you folks have talked about the toughest guys ever in the business. Who do you think would have won a real fight between Harley Race and Billy Robinson? This is a good question. Oh man, I love, I love this question. Thank you for the great question. And and I think if you're, you can simplify this. I think if you're talking about a street fight, and again, I don't know specifically what Billy Robinson's street fighting credentials were. I know what Harley races were. I would say if you're going to have a street fight, Harley race is going to, you know, take over on Billy Robinson. If you're going to have a wrestling match, uh, pure wrestling, take it to the mat, catch as catch can, what have you, uh, then you got to go with Billy Robinson. But in, in terms of overall wrestling history, two of the toughest guys ever. You did not want to f around with either Harley Race or Billy Robinson, and I believe there, there's Billy right there. Talk about a shooter uh, in the ring; he could stretch like a pretzel. And of course, Harley Race, one of the toughest wrestlers, pound for pound, yeah, one of the toughest men, let alone wrestlers, in the history of this planet. Boy, that's a pickup. Great question. Thank you. And uh, let's go ahead and end on this one, Mick. And, and again, if you've got a question, uh, submit it to mickkarch at gmail.com. Uh, we'll continue to do more. We've got a few more. We're just going to roll those over to uh, to next time. From Jeannie Olson, uh, she said she's a big fan of classic women's wrestling. Not so much what she sees today. In your opinion, who were the tough, uh, the two toughest women to wrestle in the AWA? Oh, boy. Yeah, th this was another tough one. Um and again, not a lot of ladies came through the AWA territory. Uh, it was that special attraction. So I'm saying probably over the years, you know, from 1960 on, maybe there were 15, 20 ladies that came in and out of the territory. Uh, the first lady that I would suggest, and I know a lot of people are going to say, how about Medusa? How about Vivian Vashon? Absolutely. They're right up there. But Kay Noble who wrestled from the 1950s into the uh, 1970s, actually. Uh, Kay Noble, legendary for how tough 
She was in and out of the ring. She at one time was married to another professional wrestler, the original Doug Gilbert, Doug Lindsay. Uh, she came into the AWA territory a lot in the 60s and the 70s. Kay would fight men, women, dogs, alligators. She did not care. Wow, and, really? Oh, if there was a brawl going on, and I've seen footage of this, if there was a brawl, Kay would run out there with the men and start throwing punches, you know, to, to uh, tame down the crowd. Oh, wow. Yeah, she absolutely would. She was the real deal. Uh, wow. Very, very tough lady. Uh, passed away many, many years ago. I had an opportunity to talk with Kay at Cauliflower Alley Club uh, going way, way back. Great lady, but man, she would she would fight to the death. No question. She, she'd throw them. The one that I would say has to be the toughest, and, I, and I've heard this over and over again from her peers, was one Sherry Martell. And Sherry, there she is pulling her own hair out for a change. Uh, Sherry Martell, legendary not only as a wrestler, as a manager, as a personality, but Sherry was not afraid of anybody. And I'm talking man, woman, or beast. She was so very tough, and I've talked to her peers. I've talked to a lot of the women that Sherry wrestled against. They, they will all say, every one of them, you did not want to piss off Sherry Martell. She was a consummate professional. You know, she certainly wouldn't, you know, extend, you know, beyond the boundaries. Yeah. She wouldn't deliberately hurt somebody. But if you screwed up a spot or if you weren't cooperating with Sherry Martell, you were screwed. Was, and, she, was she known to, like, get a little upset if somebody messed up a spot or something or, or was, did there have to be a really good reason for her to, to kind of get to that point? Yeah. I, I think, you know, Sherry was a unique individual from, you know, my time associating with her. Sherry had a lot of highs and lows. And if Sherry was in a good mood, it, everything was copacetic. Everything was great. If Sherry was in a bad mood or came to the arena a little bit cranky, a little bit tired, uh, and and something happened that she didn't like in the ring, somebody was going to pay for it. And I've mentioned before, there's a guy that uh, hosted a TV show in Minneapolis, a, a, a talk show in the afternoon. Vern brought him in as a special guest referee. Uh, Gary Lumpkin, I believe, was his name. And uh, he was a guest referee and apparently was not smartened up enough to what was going on during Sherry's match. Sherry didn't like it. And on the way back to the locker room, and I'm I'm – Two feet away, she clomped her chop choppers into the arm of Gary Lumpkin as they were walking back to the locker room. Poor guy, he wasn't smart enough. It wasn't his fault, but Sherry was upset, and she bit the guy. <laughs> I don't know if he had to go out and get a rabies shot afterward, but, yeah, Sherry was the real deal. God oh, bless her. Damn. Yeah, I damn. stayed on her good side. Um, yeah, I, I can imagine. Yeah, I, I as a matter of fact, Sherry one time <laughs> – told me something that I knew in confidence, and she said, if this ever gets out to anybody, I'm going to fix it so you never have kids or your wife never has kids. <laughs> so from that point on, I, yes, yeah. Ms. Martell. Uh, your wife could have kids. You just couldn't. That's it. <laughs> you know what I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Uh, all right. Hey, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the question part of it. Uh, we do have some more uh, that we're going to go ahead and get to you next time. If you've got questions and you want some answered 
uh, go to uh, Slick Mick Old School Wrestling. Uh, we've actually got an AWA fans, AWA Unleashed fans Facebook page. Uh, go to that. But if you've got a question you want to ask Mick, go to a Mick at gmail.com. Uh, let's go ahead and give our shout outs here, Mick, and then we'll uh, wrap it up here. Okay, uh, my shout-out is to a very, very good friend of mine. His uncle actually was the legendary Danny McShane, dangerous Danny McShane, who wrestled and then, of course, refereed. I'm talking about my buddy Danny Damon, uh, who's living the life of Riley up in the uh, Michigan area. Danny, love you, man. You are a man among men, and one day we're going to meet, we're going to have a beer, and we're going to have a great conversation, so... Shout out, Danny Damon. And, and I'm going to go to Tim Matfield uh, at TJ Matt F on Twitter. A big supporter, loves the interaction on Twitter, so uh, appreciate that. All right. Uh, one more time, want to thank you guys for everything that you've done. Uh, go to Soda Stick uh, right there. You can see in the corner for your T-shirt, for your personalized hoodie. Uh, if you want great pizza, it's 7th Avenue Pizza, no doubt. Um, best tasting pizza on the market. Again, I just got four of them before we started taping. I'm going to go ahead and make one here momentarily. Subscribe one, my ass. One. Well, I, I'm going to make one. Yeah, I got, I got, I got nothing. God, you just, you pissed in my Cheerios there, Karch. Way to go. Um, well, let me say this. We do have some fun things coming up. Number one, we've got a show coming up in Fergus Falls, a live show on September 10th. Uh, so check us out there. We'll get you the ticket information. And then also, Mick, you have been working on a uh, something big. Kind of give us a, a quick recap in about 60 seconds. It's going to be AWA reunion number two. Uh, we don't have the specific date or time yet, but uh, it's going to be fun. We are working with some people here in the uh, Twin Cities area involved in the wrestling community to try to put this all together. We'll get a hold of some of our AWA guys that are still with us in the area. Come out for some pictures and, and great talk and food and what have you. More details as they become available. But I'm looking forward to it. Oh, me too. I'm just, again, you kind of threw that at me on the show. And it's I'm really excited for it. And it's something that kind of make your plans for it. So kind of start, look for it. It's going to be sometime this fall. I have no idea. Uh, Mick, you're kind of handling all the details. I just... I'm along for the ride with it, and that should do it. So it's been a fun Q&A. Uh, just keep everything coming. Keep the support. You know, again, go to our uh, – let me go ahead and put the banner up one more time here. Join our AWA Unleashed fans page on Facebook. Brian Huff sure. did a great job with that. Brian put it together. And uh, so let's uh, let's do it. And, Mick, great job, man. This was fun. This was good. I, and Q&As are always a good time. Oh, I love the Q&As. Keep them coming, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, not only when we ask for them. Just keep them coming. We keep them on file, and we're going to get to them eventually. No question about it. So tip of the hat, you fans are the greatest. I mean, seriously, we are loving doing this for you and with you. <laughs>